You're listening to the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I'm Adam Gobb. Today on the podcast, we're speaking with local genealogist, historian, and retired educator, Robert Carpenter. Robert's going to be speaking to us today about what Gaston County was like 175 years ago when legislators in Raleigh were deciding whether or not to carve out Gaston County from Lincoln County. So we're here on Savvy Citizen. We're uh, joined today by Robert Carpenter. Robert's had a uh, uh, interesting history of uh, working in the education field, but he's also got um, a really unique background um, in terms of uh, studying genealogy and then also uh, just kind of the history of Gaston County. He's written uh, several books as well. Robert, thanks so much for coming on Savvy Citizen today. It's glad to be with you, Adam. So we're doing this podcast today um, with Gaston County coming up on its 175th anniversary, and it's it's kind of wild to think about um, Gaston County existing for that long. Um, but Robert, you you've written books about uh, Gaston County's history in the Civil War, and um, we're going to be talking today a little bit about uh, Gaston County, kind of what it was like uh, when it became a county, when it split off from Lincoln County in 1846. Um, and if you can, just kind of set the scene a little bit for us as, as to what it would have been like in Gaston County uh, at that time when they were deciding to, to make it um, its own county. Well, it was a very unique and interesting time period. In North Carolina, there was a lot of political maneuvering going on between two political parties, which were basically even in size. The Democrat Party of Andrew Jackson and the Whig Party of Henry Clay, okay. and uh, they battled each other through the 30s and the 40s uh, and into the 50s. Uh, and they, within that, you had, uh, let me stop, that's sure. not the question. The question <laughs> was, what were the people doing and sure. how were they functioning? Um, Gaston County citizens uh, during the 30s, 40s, 50s were generally small farmers. Okay. Uh, they, uh, they, they had... Fair amount of acreage, most of them, uh, uh, sometimes 100 acres, maybe 50. Uh, they raised corn, wheat, livestock, and most of it, most of them were what we would call subsistence farmers. They raised enough for, for them to eat and to, to survive on, and they raised enough to pay their taxes. That was the extra money that they needed was to pay taxes, to buy a few things maybe from the local stores, uh, and so the county was made up primarily of, of these type folks. There were a few uh, very wealthy people. Uh, in 1863, there was a tax list which has survived, which is very, very detailed. And I transcribed that in my Civil War book. Okay. And within the context of that, uh, we were able to determine that about 2% of Gaston County belonged to that upper, upper class. Oh, wow. But the overwhelming majority, almost 50%, belonged to what we would call small farmers or laborers uh, so that they they actually owed money to a lot of these creditors, these the, the upper elite, if you would. Uh, so, so within that context, you had a few very wealthy people, very few in Gaston County, and then you had a number of other people uh, of modest backgrounds. Uh, and so... Survival was the main thing, and there were still a lot of people leaving Gaston County, moving west, going to Missouri, Tennessee, Texas, Georgia, various places, okay. and they sought a better life, more, more money, more financial security, 
in, in most cases, those were the uh, reasons for leaving. And just the, probably the, the opportunity to maybe secure like a larger tract of land than what they would be able to get here? Yes, yes, and, and better land. Okay. You see, uh, by I'd say by the 1800s, early 1800s, prime farmland was pretty much taken up. Okay. And so what you had was you had this poor, poor land, and so folks would come in and they would secure, buy this poor land, get as much out of it as they could, uh, but then they realized that they could not. It was very difficult to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and crop yields were not uh, large. Uh, use of fertilizer was pretty much unknown. Okay. Animal fertilizer, animal manure was used and various things, but it was, and there was very little crop rotation. So, so you had, so you had a lot of folks really struggling to survive. You know, obviously the, one of the things that, is associated with Gaston County over the years is the the tie to the textile mills. But when you talk about Gaston County in its infancy and, and before it was even born, that wasn't really a thing yet, was it? It was not. Uh, the textile industry, which is really cotton mills, is mm-hmm. where it started out, uh, began in Gaston County uh, around 1850. Okay. Uh, prior to that time, there were mills in Lincoln County in Lincolnton. A laboratory uh, was one of the, the earliest the Hope Factory at Laboratory, uh, which was built around 1820. Uh, but in Gaston County, uh, that was not the case. But in 1850, you had the Mountain Island Mill, which was built over on the Catawba River mm. by Tate. Mr. Tate and his family invested in that, and it was uh, he was an outsider coming in from Greensboro. That was the very first cotton factory. The, the Second or third one, they argue about which one was uh, was next, uh, primarily because there's not enough documentation to firmly secure that. But one was the Lineburgers, and there was a, a group of Lineburger uh, family members, Caleb and John, uh, and, and then he had, there were other investors. Moses H. Ryan was one investor, and there were others, uh, which was created Woodlawn, which was down, also known as Penhook, okay. uh, which was down at Lowell. Uh, and then the third one was Stowe's Factory by uh, Larkin, Jasper, and, and uh, E.C. Stowe, which was down closer to Belmont, the southern part. Those two were on the South Fork River. Okay. Uh, and, and you had, at the very beginning of these uh, cotton mills, you did have the growth of a mill village uh, around it, people who they, they had to create houses for people because they had to walk to work. Uh, and so... Uh, you had the creation of these little villages around them. You had little cemeteries. You had churches. You had a store, usually a company store, was associated with the mill. Uh, and so these were changes, dramatic changes for Gaston County during this time. And so you've got people that, like what you're talking about, were subsistence farmers. And if you're having a really hard time year after year just trying to scratch out a living, you know, maybe the, the promise of steady work at a mill is, is pretty appealing to a lot of these folks. The, the lure of, of that, uh, of wages, uh, was very strong. But don't be, uh, you know, these earliest mills mm-hmm. were actually ran, ran or operated primarily by women and children. Interesting. Overwhelmingly, when you go back and look at what few records exist for them, you have women, you have children uh, uh, as early as young as nine wow. working in the mills every day, long hours, very, very uh, low wages. Uh, and so, yeah, but it was a draw 
for people. And then you had to also had to have other people like uh, to freight to carry freight, move mm. uh, materials. So you did have men working in the mills. Sure, it's just that there was significant numbers of women and children working there. And they could probably afford to pay women and children a lot less than they could afford to pay the men. A lot less. So when I was doing a, a bit of research into Gaston County's creation in 1846, a lot of what I could find was uh, this theme of uh, there, the folks here wanted more local control and, and not having not being part of the, the larger county and um, you know, with attached to Lincoln County. You know, what, what have you found in terms of, you know, the, the driving force behind why Gaston County was created? I think that's generally uh, what I found. Uh, I really don't think that many of us have, have really taken a real in-depth look at some of the factors that related to that, mm. uh, that whole situation. Because part of it goes back to the battle between the, the Democrats of Andrew Jackson and the Whigs of Henry Clay for political control of the state. Part of it goes back to that. Part of it goes back to the state constitution of 1835, which tried to remedy some of the unfair uh, practices uh, uh, that was occurring during the time, political practices where you have uh, 100 people being represented by one representative and a 1,000 people being represented by one representative. Mm -hmm. So that Constitutional Convention tried to remedy some of those situations. But one of the main themes that came out of that convention, which is very uh, you know, correct with what you said, was the need for more local control. And so what happened was after that convention uh, and after that Constitution was ratified, you had a, a, a plethora of new counties being formed. Mm. in North Carolina. Lincoln County at the time, let's say in 1840, was one of the largest counties in the state. And it included what's now Gaston, what's now Lincoln, Catawba, and half of Cleveland. Wow. It was a very large county. And it was a large county not only in geography but in population and also in political influence. The county had been primarily a home for Whigs, uh, Grahams, the Brevards, many of the wealthy people, Andrew Hoyle, William Joseph Wilson, these folks exerted significant political power throughout the state of North Carolina, being governors and senators, uh, statewide offices in addition to local offices. But what happened was was that this desire for a, a courthouse closer to your house, if you would, to make it uh, to, the, to the farmer's issue, is you had that first movement in around 1841. And you had the creation of a county that they named Cleveland. Cleveland County was created out of the western portion of Lincoln County and the eastern portion of Rutherford County. Okay. And it is currently Cleveland County today. And so you had so you had that you had Lincoln County shaved off, if you will, mm -hmm. on the western end of it. Well, that didn't satisfy lots of folks. Folks way up in Newton, Hickory area. Uh, and then folks way down to Belmont said, we still have a long horse ride to the courthouse. Sure. And so another bill went through the, the legislature, and uh, there was a meeting held uh, uh, in 1842 at Moses H. Ryan and Huffman's store in what is now Mount Holly, which would be called Tuckasegee uh, Ford uh, Road, 
Uh, and, and in that meeting, a number of leaders decided that they would not vote for anybody who did not favor dividing Lincoln County up. Mm. And so you have this political movement afoot. Uh, and it was a, a, a grassroots movement to, to not do that, to, uh, to, to create uh, additional counties, to create more accessibility to the courthouse and to uh, more accessibility to the towns. Uh, and at that time, the area now known as Gaston County had no towns. There was no no municipalities. No, uh, the only all you had was a few stores. Wow! Uh, and you had these cotton mills that were just beginning. Remember, the cotton mills didn't start until 1850. Mm-hmm. So if you go back to 1840, so uh, in 18, 1842, you have a bill that goes through the legislature with the creation of Catawba County. Well, they created Catawba County and divided Lincoln County, what was left of Lincoln County after Cleveland had been cut off, in half. Well, the problem with that was was that they split the county of only about four miles north of present-day Lincolnton. Mm. Now, we in Gaston, what's now Gaston, were stuck with what was left of the Lincoln portion of that. Okay. Uh, which meant that Belmont still had the same ride to Lincolnton. Yeah. It didn't improve their situation. And so the citizens of what's now became Gaston County, petitioned uh, the legislature. And those petitions are at the archives in Raleigh, uh, thousands of names of people who signed wanting the county split again. And so uh, in 1846, late December 1846, November and December, you had the legislature once again passing a law to create a new county. The name of the county was Gaston. Uh, named after William Gaston, a judge from Newburgh, North Carolina, who was deceased at the times. And so this new county, Gaston, was going to be created in the southern portion. But if you did that, you only left a little sliver sliver of land uh, left for Lincoln County. And so what they did, they moved the Lincoln County boundary, which was only four miles north of Lincolnton, up to its current line between Catawba and Lincoln County. Okay. So you had all that movement taking place uh, at that time. Uh, and so after 1846, you have the counties aligned like they are today, Catawba, Lincoln, uh, and Gaston, and then, of course, Cleveland to the west. But that wasn't the end of it. Hmm. We discovered recently in, in some, some uh, state legislative reports that in 1848, there was a group of citizens who petitioned the legislature to once again change the county boundary line. And what they wanted to do, these were people who lived primarily around Cherville today. Okay. They wanted to go back and rejoin Lincoln County. Oh. It was closer for them to drive to, drive to on their horse, mm-hmm. ride to Lincolnton, than it was for them to get on their horse and buggy and go to Dallas, which was the new county seat. And so they petitioned to, to go back into Lincoln County. The legislature was tired of dealing with us. <laughs> and so the legislature did not even vote on it. They just mm. sort of tabled the whole issue, and it never came to any, uh, any resolution. It's fascinating. I mean, you talk about Gaston County being created and that there weren't really even you know, towns at, at that time. And it's like now Gaston County has the most municipalities out of any of the counties in, in the entire state. So when Gaston County was created and they, they first put that county seat in Dallas, uh, did that kind of help spur some of the growth and, and, and really get some of these municipalities off the ground? Uh, most of the municipalities that we have today that we're so familiar with were frankly born out of 
cotton and textile industry okay. uh, in the 1870s, 1880s, and early 1900s. Uh, places like uh, you know Ranlow, mm-hmm. uh, Lowell, uh, you you know places which of course Cherville actually was called Cherville around 1863 for the first time. Bessemer City was created uh, out of uh, in the 1880s, I believe it was. So so it would. I think I think the growth and the dynamics of people moving. You had the the cotton industry, the cotton mills, and as the cotton mills were formed, you had these creation of these mill towns, and then people were moving. And the dynamics of the economies that flowed from that movement: people going there to work, people carrying cotton, carrying freight, foodstuffs, etc all created uh, a lot of that growth that you're talking about and the creation of these municipalities. For people that maybe don't think about it today, because it's like in modern days, like the, the need for being close to a courthouse probably isn't, you know, front of mind for almost anybody when they're picking some place to live. Why was that so important for people back in the 1830s, 1840s? Well, one is a philosophical difference. Back in that period of time, politics was local. Mm. It was what I could do, what I could get. And most or many, I would say, and probably most, of the voters voted on issues that were local to them. You know, what would help them with their, with their cows, with their, with their horses, uh, with their wheat, uh, with, later with their cotton, uh, what would help them uh, with, with their children. You know, so it was a local issues. It wasn't presidential issues, it wasn't mm. senatorial issues, it wasn't national issues per se. So in reacting to those local issues, they would vote for those people who felt they felt would best serve their issues. And, and uh, that's, why, that's why it was so different uh, back then as it relates to our political environment today. And by the way, there was no internet back then, <laughs> and there was right. no radio, and there was no television, and so... The country store became your oasis for political conversations. Churches, stores were the places where discussions were held and a lot of debates were, were forged. And so it's, it's really, it was really a different dynamic as it relates to people and how they interacted. Well, in, in terms of talking about communication, I think the Gazette wasn't even born until like the 1880s or 1890s. I mean, w- were there even any other local newspapers or ways of communicating around the area? The Lincoln Courier had okay. been a newspaper up in Lincolnton for many, many years. Uh, and you had the leading citizens of, of what's now Gaston County who would uh, take newspapers from Raleigh. Okay. They actually subscribed to newspapers from Raleigh and, and from Charlotte, mm-hmm. uh, the Charlotte Democrat, the, uh, the Lincoln Courier. Uh, there was a, a newspaper in, in uh, Statesville, another newspaper in Salisbury. Mm-hmm. And, and many of those newspapers carried lots of stories about our area okay. and news about our area. So, uh, But you're right, as far as local, there were, there were almost nothing. And the ones that did start, there were a few that started – before the Gazette, they generally did not survive. They they bank, went bankrupt. Uh, they were just unable to continue to to publish. 
given the the amount of work and and the background research that you've done into this time period, how important was it to find that that tax roll from 1863 in terms of being able to kind of pinpoint some of the um, the landowners and the families that were prominent in this area at the time? Well, it, it was very very significant. Uh, it, it filled in a lot of blanks as it relates to not only to the to the progress of of our county of our community. But it also helped to define uh, some of the situations as it relates to how uh, people lived mm. uh, because it delineated such things as how many horses they had, how many cows they had. Um, and, and I would be, I would be uh, not fair if I did not state to you one of the key uh, products created by Gaston County citizens during this period was distilled liquids. Mm. The and you see for the small farmer who grew primarily corn, wheat, and raised livestock, um, they could take corn, distill it into alcohol, transport it much more efficiently to market, and make a whole lot more money than they could by just selling their corn. Mm. And so, therefore, that was a that was that was probably one of the first manufacturing successful manufacturing operations in our in our county was distilleries hmm. and uh and it continued of course through the years so that at one time during the 1870s 80s we became known i think as one of the counties with the most distilleries in the state hmm. uh, but so I, i'm not sure if that's exactly what you were asking uh but it relates i think to the growth of of these families and how they survived and how they got enough money uh, in order to educate their children and to take care of their families and to feed them well. It, it's it's pretty amazing to think about when Gaston County was born and what you talked about, that there really weren't any established municipalities at the time. Uh, and, and to go from that to now a county of almost 230,000 people with you know 12 different vibrant municipalities, um, you know, a, a diverse manufacturing base now, uh, it, it's hard to imagine in going back 175 years that anybody could have foreseen what Gaston County would turn into. I mean, it's just the growth has been pretty phenomenal. It has, and I'm not sure that those folks foresaw what was going to happen. I know that they, they made their choices and their decisions based on what they felt was best for the county, for themselves, for their families, for their neighbors, their friends. Um, but, I'm not, but, you know, I don't know that they even foresaw what was going to be coming in the future because so much stuff came from outside. The demand for cloth, mm-hmm. the demand for uh, other materials. And I would also uh, like to add that the first industry that we had, manufacturing that we had, uh, was actually metal processing. Mm. Mining, iron works, uh, High Shoals was a major iron uh, producing uh, company. The Hushos Iron, Hushos uh, Manufacturing Company has been called many different things, and so one of the advantages our area had was of swift flowing streams, and so you see the disadvantage of fl- swift flowing <laughs> streams is that you can't float a boat on it, hmm. but you can operate a mill. Okay, you can, and so what happened was was that they they were able to to create a lot of these ironworks. And there was iron in the ground, uh, and there was gold in the ground. There were gold mines in the area, iron mines. Uh, and so this was another 
occupation and another business enterprise that consumed a lot of people uh, uh, and a lot of our enslaved uh, population as well. I know that you could probably talk about Gaston County's history for for hours, if not days, given just the the amount of research you've done in it. But anything else kind of about um, the the time period of when Gaston County was founded that I didn't ask about that you felt would be kind of important um, important to mention? Well, you know, it's it's very interesting that, uh, and, and when I did my book on the Civil War, it sort of came to me that, that there was a generational shift about this time. Okay. The old heads, Andrew Hoyle, William Joseph Wilson, Larkin Stowe, those folks that had been around had been key people uh, in, in not only the creation of our county, but also key people in the economics mm-hmm. of, our, of our area. Um, they, were, they were dying. They were passing away. And so who was going to pick up that new... Uh, baton, if you would, and carry it forward. Uh, it was po- folks like James Hillhouse White, who operated a grist mill. Uh, he was the uh, son of, of immigrants from Ireland, hmm. uh, and he, uh, he became a legislator. He was one of the legislators who pushed through the resolution to create Gaston County. Okay. Uh, and uh, folks like him came to the fore and took the leadership roles. Uh, and some of them... And so what happened from a political standpoint is that the county changed from a primarily Whig county or Whig area to a Democratic area. A lot of that had to do with national issues, the slavery issue. Mm. Uh, But a lot of that had to do with that. And so these folks experienced a great deal of, of economic improvement during this period of time. You had the creation of Dallas. You had the the first meetings of the, the county court in Dallas, uh, and you had the selling of the town lots. You had all of a sudden, you had the creation of a town, mm. and you had a place where people could go and stay at a hotel. You had a place where you could get your your, your horseshoes. Mm-hmm. You could get fine. You could buy fine goods, not Macy's, right? But Hoyle right. store or or a Ryan store or some of those. And so you had a lot of, of craftsmen who resided in that one town uh, area so that it became a focal point and you had people going there all the time uh, for uh, business. And so once you had that created, you had a lot of business staying home. In the past, they'd gone to Lincolnton. Sure. You know, uh, and so now they're staying home, they're staying in the county, and, and they're staying in the county, uh, and they're spending their money at home. Uh, and so uh, it, was, um, it was a very dynamic time, a lot of change. We're used to change. Those folks were not used to change as rapidly as certainly we are today. Mm-hmm. And they were not used to or accustomed to change as it was happening, about to happen to them with the war coming uh, in 1861. But it certainly happened, and it's, it affected their lives, and it changed them forever and the, the whole county whole area changed i mean was gaston county uh, there's obviously a a number of areas that that saw a lot of fighting and and destruction during the civil war was gaston county primarily spared or i mean was there fighting here that there was some damage to some of the the areas in in gaston county we were primarily spared uh we sent our our children our sons Mm -hmm. off to war uh and sent a lot of them uh, and a lot of them did not return. 
uh, the only engagements that we had here had to do with Stoneman's Raiders okay. uh, and, a, and a general named Palmer who uh, set up his operations in, Lincoln, in Lincolnton, and he sent folks out into the countryside uh, basically to steal horses oh. because they were cavalry. Okay. And so they came through Dallas. Uh, they, uh, when the war was ended, they, they occupied Dallas. Uh, federal troops did. Uh, they rode up and down the Catawba. Uh, they were at Mountain Island Mill. Uh, they did not burn it. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> they also did not burn Woodlaw. They, mm. Uh, there's documentation that they were at Woodlawn, uh, Penhook, Lowell. They didn't burn it either. Uh, and so that was the only action, if you will, sure. that we saw here uh, from the federal forces. Got it. Well, Mr. Carpenter, thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast, for sharing your insights about Gaston County's history. It's it's really been a, a, a pleasure. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. And let me know if I can ever help. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you.